There is more to me, Queen Eliara of Elfgard, than my elven magic. Just as there's more to Geico than saving you money, Geico also gives you 24-7 access to licensed agents online, on the phone, or on the Geico app. And while I am a mighty elf queen, I am also a mighty big fan of barbecue potato chips. Minions! More smoky mesquite. Geico. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Nightlight. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. And now, here is your host, the lovely, delightful, insightful, and all-around great gal, Ms. Barbara DeLong. That was Ken Quiethawk. I never actually get tired of listening to that intro. He took a little bit of liberty with it here and there, but um, it's always a joy to hear his voice. So I am very grateful that I have him as my announcer. Uh, We have a great show tonight. We have Mark Snyder on with us again, and he is, most of you know, uh, among other things, a tremendously talented musician, and he also uh, is the host of his own show called Ohio Exopolitics here on Blog Talk Radio, and uh, he he is my go-to guy on all Billy Meyer stuff. He is probably so knowledgeable that Probably Billy asks him things when he forgets them. So um, I, I'm going to bring Mark, Mark on, I hope. Hi, Mark. Welcome to the show. Hi, Barbara. How are you tonight? I am great. So when Billy goes into dementia or whatever, he'll just have to pick up the phone and call you. That's hilarious. I can't believe no. you said that. That was really funny. <laughs> well, I mean uh, it. Um, <laughs> you, you seem to have committed so much to memory. It's unbelievable, and I, you know, I do cheat a little bit when we're going to do a show and ask you to give me material, and um, and I read through all the material you gave me, and then I went a little bit further, and um, 
I, I don't know. Are you aware that 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 uh, that I do a a remote viewing meditation every Sunday night? No, I wasn't. Well, I do. And um, mm-hmm. the link to it is on the front page of my website, and there's a blog where people can give in what their impressions were to the, the different um, places that we travel to. And it's I started it with Bill Brown, who, of course, um, is very much into the Giza Plateau and has done um, – uh, he's done um, the ground penetrating radar and all sorts of stuff. And one of the surprising things, and we've done a number of um, remote viewing meditations on um, on the Giza Plateau and around the Great Pyramid. And what blew me away when when I started to read the material that you sent me to read, um, it it's. It's absolutely the Giza intelligence just just popped me in 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 the face. We went we have gone under in, underground into those passageways and chambers that are there, and and it was described in the meditations. And I you know when when you know you when I started to read about the the, the chambers and the tunnels that are underground there at the Giza Plateau, it's like. I was revisiting the meditations again. It was really quite fascinating because I didn't know that that kind of stuff was there. And so I'd like to to talk about the Giza intelligence a little bit, you know, before we get going on some of the other stuff. Sure. That'd be great. Yeah. Anything, if you have a specific question or you just want me to just kind of cover the topic kind of generally speaking, or how, however you want to do it? Well, we only have two hours. So um, <laughs> <laughs> it would be fun to do a marathon with you sometime. It really would. Um, you just <laughs> see when I run out, when I run out of material, finally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we'd have to sort of, you know, um, kind of feed <clears throat> you, you know, through your veins or something. Uh <laughs> It's 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 fascinating because the the they call them extraterrestrials. I'm not sure I even want to call them extraterrestrial star visitors. I don't think there's a name that really applies to them. Um, earlier people to this planet, um, but what came first, the Great Pyramid or all of the tunnels and chambers underneath it on the Giza Plateau? Well. My understanding is <clears throat> there the Great Pyramid and the whole tunnel system underneath is seventy three thousand years old. So which was built first? I don't know. They were probably built roughly the same time from what I can remember. Okay. Well that said, what was the what was the purpose then of the, the Great Pyramid? I know that in in some some of the stuff that I read, it was basically said that the outer skin of the pyramid served to keep out unwanted energies, so that the mental powers of those with it within would be increased. Um, well, over the years, the pyramids were used for different things. Uh-huh. That's what the Meyer material explains. Um, their original purpose, I do not remember them ever actually going into. 
But the Great Pyramids were built about 70,000 years ago and then about 35,000 years back. And through time, they've had various different functions. Um, For a while, they were actually used as tombs for a little while. They were also used to escape from something called the Destroyer Comet. That um, is a very interesting story. There was a comet that used to come through our solar system about every four to five hundred years and it was big it's, it was i don't even know if it's still around it was 1.7 times the size of the earth it was as big as the earth and it had horrific horrific um effect on our solar system it's actually what pulled mars out of its orbit and it would come close enough to the earth at times where it would disturb the position of the seas and there would be these gigantic floods and um, there was a king who had a son who was a, a remote viewer who saw the the great destroyer comet coming again uh, in his mind he, he saw this so this king um, gathered all his people and they went below the the um, Great Pyramid, the Giza Plateau at this time, and they and they kind of hid there. And they also covered the outside of the pyramid with with uh, lye, I guess you call it, to seal it so mm-hmm. it was watertight. So that that was one of the uses. That's kind of one of the practical uses. I I just roughly guess that. From what I remember, we're not we're that's something we're still not allowed to know. The the people that originally designed the pyramids were from planets in and around Orion's belt. And like I said, they were uh built thirty six thousand, roughly thirty five thousand years ago and seventy three thousand years ago as well. So <clears throat> That's kind of a quick, just a really quick 30,000-foot view of, <laughs> well, what, you know, the, the purpose anyway. What fascinated me was, uh, among other things, was that, that they said that at some point in time they, they stored or protected or parked large spaceships there. And that, of course, corresponds to the Toth material where the uh, where Toth um, left Atlantis with his people in in the the master or the keeper of the lights spaceship, and they went to Egypt, and that ship was buried beneath the Great Pyramid. So you have two different um, um, legends, myths, whatever you want to call them, that that are saying the same thing using, you know, it's, it's very much like our gods, you know, they were different in Greece, Roman and wherever, but they all had the same archetypes. So um, it just, it, to me, it was kind of like it all dovetailed and it seemed logical. I know that they have done uh, ground penetrating radar aside from Bill Brown, but in, in other places on the Giza plateau and they have found huge chambers and tunnels and all sorts of things that are, 
that are there that have been used for centuries. And um, some say black ops are even using them today. The story that I was just telling you about occurred about 9,500 years ago. The king, was his name was Saluk, and his son was named Sarid. And they used the Great Pyramid as a refuge to survive this great flood. Now, what you're talking about is very interesting, and Billy talks about that in great detail in something called uh, Ask Its Explanations. This was his first real meeting with Ascot. Uh, she took him far below the Giza Plateau where he went in this great hallway where there was a gigantic ancient spacecraft, mm-hmm. smaller ships as well as a whole bunch of other things. And I can, we can go into that in more detail if, if you're interested. Well, it, I think what fascinated me was that she had an apparatus that allowed them to walk through stone that um, no one could see or hear them, yet they could see and hear everybody else. And as we did our meditation beneath the Giza Plateau, that's exactly what we did. We walked through stone. Um, hmm. we, we observed, but, you know, what was it? It was we could see but not be seen, heard, um, hear but not be heard. And um, it it's... It, I read that part of the story, and all I could think of was, I know I haven't heard this from Mark before, and yet this is what happened in the in the remote viewing meditation. Oh, you! Know, I've never told you about this? No. I'm so surprised. I talk about this all the time. That's so strange. Well, I thought I, I we, thought I told you this story two or three times by now. No, we, we get off topic a lot, Mark. Uh, no, 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 no. Did When you did your remote viewing, did you see... The what you could call the items from the crucifixion. No, didn't see those. Uh, but I was okay. reading the meditation. So, um, and we didn't see the ship, but we went into a chamber that was large enough for it. We we um, I think the interesting thing was as we were going through the tunnels. At one point in time, um, I told people to look on the walls and see the handprints and to find a handprint fitted theirs and to put their hand into it and feel the energy that came through and afterwards I said Bill, Bill was was in that meditation and afterwards I said to him well you know did you what, he said well it was very unusual for me and I said why and he said well I only had three fingers and I said okay and he said and I was green and I said <laughs> well you know clearly clearly not of of your current status and it was three weeks later that they discovered that mummy in Peru. Oh, is that the one with three fingers? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So I haven't um, really read about that. I don't know anything about that. I, they haven't released any information to my knowledge yet. Just, just the pictures, which, which are enough. But, um, so, so, you know, you know, by the way, Billy, Billy went yeah. down there in 1953, and wow. he he was picked up, and I believe he was in Switzerland. He was picked up. He was 16 years old. He was picked up in a robotic ship, which flew him to Jordan, and that's a very interesting story. 
And he got out of the robotic craft, and then Ascot's ship came down, a 300-foot disc, and it landed there, and he's sitting <clears throat> in Jordan, and nothing happens for a half an hour. And finally, she comes out of the ship and comes over to talk to him, and he has this tremendous deja vu kind of moment where he even feels what he says is kind of a a pain, a, an emotional pain, because he said, somehow I missed her in this, in the lifetime he was currently in or something. I mean, I don't remember the exact words. Uh-huh. Uh, and so he knew that he knew her in some way, and he asked her about it, and she wouldn't tell him anymore. He, She just told him, you'll have to search your memories. <clears throat> but it's just an amazing, amazing story. Uh, the whole thing is just, uh, it's one of my favorite things in the Meyer case. That's why I'm so surprised I never told you about this. No, so so they went um, to the Giza Plateau? They got in her ship, and they flew, and the words that he used, they they landed beside the strange statue of the animal human, which was the Sphinx, mm-hmm. and her ship, her ship was completely cloaked and invisible, and they she put a device on his belt which made him invisible except they could see each other as you were saying and he had a hard time even believing this so he went into this tent of women these Bedouin women I guess these that were close by and they were all getting dressed and he, he was amazed because they really couldn't see him and he, he and he walked very quietly over to one of them and I think it says in the contact notes there she didn't have any top on. And he kissed her. And then she kind of slumped over and he caught her just before she hit the ground because she passed out. And when she woke up, she thought she had been kissed by an angel. And she told Aww. the other women. And <laughs> so, and they ridiculed her because they said, oh, you're crazy. That's impossible. So Billy went around and kissed about three or four or five other ones, and then he left. <laughs> so that is a strange part of the story. I've often wondered why that happened and what that was all about. But then they well, went. It, it just it just really kind of proves he's human. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was 16, I think, at that time. It was back 1953. Very human. And they went far below the Giza Plateau. Um, through what they called, it was so dark at one point, it was like an Egyptian darkness, they said, and and they came to what looked like a gigantic wall, and there was a gigantic stone that they called an ashlar, which dissolved, and then they walked through the passageway, and he saw this gigantic spacecraft, the, you know, it was the size of Ascot's ship, and she, he saw smaller ships all around. And he said the hallway was gigantic, and the light seemed to come from everywhere and nowhere. And there were strangely dressed guards 
And then he looked to his right, and there was a platform. And on this platform was a Y-shaped cross, a about a uh, six-foot or roughly three-meter staff. There was a crown of thorns, uh, which was blood-encrusted, nails that were blood-encrusted, a purple cape, a leather pouch with precious stones and all this. Now, Billy grew up with a Protestant background, so he was very disturbed and troubled by all this. Mm-hmm. So Askett and him shortly left there afterwards. And she explained it all to him in the next two days. He spent two days with her. Wow. No, we, yeah, very. I, you know, do me a favor, and I know you don't have a lot of time, but the meditations that we did were like 15 minutes. So um, mm-hmm. I'll send you the, the link to the blog. And um, <clears throat> the first few meditations were, were kind of rough. People weed whacked through them and, you know, but, but the, um, the ones on the Giza Plateau was, you know, on the King's Chamber and, and above the King's Chamber and the hidden chambers and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. I'd be interested in your take on what we were led through. It's, it's, it's a totally led meditation. I talked through the whole thing, but mm-hmm. it feels as though parts of it could easily have been in that in that particular area mm. which which is is kind of cool i mean i'm not yeah, saying that you know that i'm pulling it from Bill, billy or whatever but it 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 feels i don't know what i'm saying i'm just saying that it, there's a great similarity there for me in some of the things that we saw so i'd be interested in your take on it so sure. so the giza intelligence then you said you you know what yeah. what is Giza intelligence? Well, the Giza in intelligences were originally an army that were headed up by an extraterrestrial named Erisame, who Erisame came back to the Earth and he settled down with his army in Egypt in these old cubicle constructions that were seventy thousand years old. And deep in the interior of the earth, deep below the pyramids, this group of people, they established themselves. They converted these rooms and constructions and turned them into their headquarters because they had tyrannical plans. They had a kind of a wicked purpose in what their goal was. Their goal was leading the earth humans astray using wrong teachings, religious teachings, uh, deceit, and intrigues. So uh, this is the beginning of a lot of religion on earth. Uh, So Erisam ruled uh, until about 3010 BCE. So he was the original but you can really trace back this lineage back to a man named Eris the 11th and it's 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 a long story i'll let you guide us along what you, what you're interested <laughs> in knowing. 
<laughs> well, I, I think what I'm what I'm fascinated by is that that they they how they use their their mental powers to holographically sway people, um, religiously. I mean, it, it feels that they they controlled religious leaders as well. They there are something in the contact notes that. It talks about something called telenotic impulses, mm-hmm. and these telenotic impulses uh, still affect the people of the earth today, even though these Giza intelligences are long gone. So they're lasting somehow. They're a part of our psyche. Uh, it was a technology that they used against us, and it's it's had a severe impact, and it's really negatively impacted our evolution. We have what I would call certain mental blocks still to this day because of the damage that's been done to us. And it's actually made me take a different perspective on disclosure because of this. Well, yeah, it it just seems as though there there have been so many lies told to us um, over time that that we become initiated in a philosophy or a belief system that is totally a lie, and yeah. and yet and yet we've been taught that this is the truth and this is carved in stone, and and the reality is it's it's all illusion. And, and you know, you, you keep going back in history saying to yourself, well, what, what was an illusion? And, and when you hit a, a level of, of that you can prove at this point in time was illusion, then you go back further and, and you keep working on it until you realize that, that, that so much was illusion or allegory. And it leaves you with, holy cow, what am I basing my quote-unquote, faith on at this point in time. Well, one of the big things with me in the Meyer material, I always never really, I always set, set aside the information about Emmanuel because I figured how in the world could we ever get the name wrong of the central figure in Western society. So I just <laughs> set that all aside and studied the other stuff because I thought that was just too a little bit way out there for me. And I would come back to it now and again. And then finally one day I went and <clears throat> studied the name Emmanuel versus the name Jesus. And the the conclusion where it led me was very stunning, something that I never expected. But I don't want to take us off on that tangent if you don't want to go there. <laughs> no, that I'm, I'm fine with going on that tangent. I I, you know, have been... Um, how do I put this? My philosophy on the chronological evolution of, of us as spirits has changed dramatically over the last 20 years. Used to be, you know, we come back to earth and we get better and better and better. And then we evolve into the oneness. And then, um, then that's the end. We live, you know, out in the mansions that have been created for us. That was what it first was. And and now 
my theory of, of what happens spiritually, um, when I read Billy's description, I thought he stole it from me because <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly where I've ended up. Um, to, to, you know that we are in a a physical reality, but but apparently the other realities that 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 we will evolve into are pure spirit. That this is the only one in which there is a physical existence, which I found strange. But um, but but that the spirit within us evolves through millions billions, trillions of years of evolution, and at some point in time, it gets to the point that it, it becomes a creator like the one that created us and turns around and starts to create its own, um, you know, it, it kind of throws out seeds and says, you know, bring back information and evolve it. it it's kind of, it's kind of like we're flowers and or, or seeds or whatever you want to call it, and the, that we were cast out, not cast away from, but we were sent out, planted to evolve, and and we evolve to a certain level, and then we we become pure spirit, and we evolve further and more pure spirit on another level, and further and further and further and further. And further until eventually we we have gathered so much wisdom, so much insight, so much everything that we become the creator of creators. And you know, I, I know that's probably not put as well as Billy did, but but that's basically what my philosophy is at this point in time. Hmm. So, well, I mean, have I maybe... have I misquoted Billy? I mean, you know. Um. Well, the every human has within them a what they sometimes refer to as a tiny fragment of the universal consciousness. Uh-huh. It's it's it resides in the middle of our brain in an area called the superior colliculus. It's the area that controls eyesight and the area that controls the integration of all of our senses. The spirit form enters into the body of a child 21 days after the sperm fertilizes the egg, and it brings with it a new consciousness. We get a new, what's called a new material consciousness each one of our physical lifetimes. We have a conscious mind, a subconscious mind, an unconscious mind. In the subconscious mind is programmed all the essences of our, what you could call, for example, the essence of what we've learned about love, logic, reasonableness, humility. All these things are programmed into the subconscious before the spirit form comes back into the child. So that's what goes on in between lives. There's there's an area, uh, there's a, like an energy band around our planet, and every spirit form has what's called the overall consciousness block. And after you die, the spirit form leaves the body and it takes with it the consciousness 
the material consciousness from the previous life, and it processes the memories from the previous life, and it distills these evolutive essences, like these these concepts like wisdom and, and logic and discernment and love and humility. And those are absorbed by your spirit form, and they're programmed into the new subconscious because you'll get a new personality, a new conscious mind, a new unconscious mind, and a new subconscious mind. And then the spirit form will be pulled back into the body of a child along with the new conscious, the new material consciousness. So one important perceptual distinction that we have to keep in mind is we have a material consciousness and a spiritual consciousness. Your spiritual consciousness is is old, is very, very old. Your material consciousness, particularly when 21 days after the sperm fertilizes egg, you're brand new. That mm-hmm. that consciousness has to learn how to walk again, how to talk again, how to how to do arithmetic again, how to feed itself, everything. But it has an advantage because in this new life, in its subconscious are the evolutive accomplishments kind of summer in a summarized form. So what happens is you get impulses from your spiritual consciousness. You'll get these impulses that will that you'll get hunches that kind of guide you along. Your what's called your innermost creational personality will radiate these impulses. And your material consciousness who you are in this lifetime, if it pays attention to the spirit form, it will evolve nice and smoothly. So that's kind of the uh, some of the fundamental ideas that the Meyer case covers in terms of reincarnation. Now, it gets a little more interesting because there are storage banks in, in around our planet, around our solar system, around our galaxy, and around the universe. And if you think at the right vibration, let's say, you can be you can get signals, impulses from these universal storage banks. You can get impulses from your previous lives, your previous personalities, your previous wisdom. So we get help to continue our evolutionary process, um, to keep moving. So, But this the universal consciousness is very neutral. It is a different kind of living entity than a human being is. It radiates love. It radiates love, but it has no personality. So this is hard for us to to contemplate, and it's something I contemplate uh, quite a bit. It it 
<laughs> Imagine a tree, a gigantic tree or an ocean. Um, it's completely neutral, positive. It radiates love. The, Billy has a writing. It's wonderful. And I'll just quote a few little passages from that. Maybe we can tear them apart and talk about them. It says, Love is the highest principle in all creation. And through it, everything exists in absolute logic. Every tiny plant and every tiny animal fulfills its purpose in love. And the incredible splendor of nature is the visible expression of the love of creation. So... That is a creational natural law. That's the first fundamental law of the spiritual teaching. It has nothing to do with romantic love. It's a, it's a much much higher love. Mm-hmm. It's it is it goes hand in hand with wisdom. Billy's third spiritual teacher, a woman named Samyasi, said, "Love and wisdom go together." And the creation and its laws are love and wisdom at the same time. So what you get these are these little gems of, of teaching from the Meyer material. So what happens, and what is happening to me, and I think it happens to all the people that study the Meyer material, what kind of absorbs you is the spiritual teachings after a while. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like I can't stop reading this book. I might have thought <laughs> it's like the seventh time. I've just started again. So uh, is that the one you so, recommended yeah. to me? Yeah, I believe so. It's it should have English and and German and German. Yes. yes yeah. Yes. Yeah. Did you get it? Oh, absolutely! I got it. Have it's I read extreme. it? Not yet. It's hard. To read. <laughs> It's hard to read. Actually, they actually recommend a an, a book before it called The Psyche. Um, but I figured you were so advanced, you could probably just dive into my thoughts. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but The Psyche is, I mean, The Psyche, what's good about The Psyche is, well, a lot's good about The Psyche. The first 20 or 30 pages of it, I think I read 20 times to because it talks about the mechanics what the psyche is what the gemut is uh, what's the relationship between the two the difference between the material consciousness and the spiritual consciousness a lot of a lot of terms and concepts I had never heard before oh see so you're talking remember. you're talking my my language you know? <laughs> okay good 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 but but I think so, that um, you know from 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 what I've read from what I've understood I, you know Billy Meyer is talking universal consciousness he's talking the universal laws and um, you know certainly those are teachings that I have been familiar and, and connected to for at least forty uh, or fifty years. The. Uh, there are two other laws besides 
love that are, I think are very important. One is called uh, the law of harmony, mm-hmm. and the other one is is the law of striving. And let me um, read a little bit to you about the law of striving because I think it's it's very very interesting and very very important. Um, Striving creates the life right up to the being. Striving means delectation. Delectation means satisfaction. Striving means satisfaction, delectation in a form which is always fulfilling and progressive. To be without striving means unwillingness and affliction. Affliction is inhibited striving and inhibited life. But inhibited striving and inhibited life bring inhibited evolution and stagnation, hopelessness and grief, confusion, irrationality, joylessness, cognitionless, unpeace, disharmony, lovelessness, resentment, lies, self-deceit, and reluctance for life. So what they're talking about here is our purpose in this life is the evolution of our consciousness. All right. And in order to do that, we have to be continually striving. I mean, and it can be as simple as cleaning up your garage or studying the Meyer material. But we have to be, in order to be happy, and this is the law of nature, we have to be striving, continually striving. So this is one of the the most profound things that I've learned. Um, And the other one is the law of harmony which is we when we think, we need to think in terms of neutral positive thoughts. What are neutral positive thoughts? Well, neutral positive thoughts, if a person is thinking neutral positively, he would say, I'm optimistic, I'm confident, I'm relaxed, I'm cheerful, I'm thankful, I'm enthusiastic, I'm in harmony. So if you have neutral positive thoughts, then these good thoughts will lead to good feelings, and the good feelings will lead to good habits in your life, and good habits will lead to good circumstances. So all of your listeners are the master of their own destiny. So good neutral positive thinking leads to good circumstances. In your life, it's a law of the universe. So well, yeah, I, I have, you know, I always tell people that you create your reality by your perception of it. Your, Billy puts it this way. He says, "It is the nature of the thoughts that, by their might alone, every conceivable thing can come into fruition." Wow, is that not a mouthful? Yeah, so but it's if, true. It's true. It's profoundly true. But on the flip side of that, if you're having negative thoughts that are not neutral positive, you can unwittingly bring down all sorts of horrific things on yourself mm-hmm. by not correctly steering your thoughts. 
Now, that's something I did not know. And it can even come unconsciously. That, well, that we, is true. And, and, you know, we've all seen examples of people who say, for, just, just for want of a better illustration, you know, somebody saying, well, I'm never going to have a good relationship and it's never going to happen to me, so I might as well settle for something that isn't perfect. And, and that's what they attract to themselves. Exactly. And, and isn't it, if, if you look at it in those terms, isn't it so absurd for someone to want you to, to tell them what's going to happen in the future when they control their own destiny? Yeah. They control and, and, what happens. You know, oh, when, when somebody like that comes to me, I look at them and say, well, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's what you're going to get. You know, if and and so often when you try to explain this to someone, it's sort of like it isn't just to sit down and focus on the positive for, for 15, 20 minutes and then go off thinking the other stuff. I mean, it has to be a constant. It has to be your intent has to be the positive result. Yeah, I think that's the hard part, isn't it? I mean, it's real easy to slip back into negative, at least it is for me. This has been a challenge for me to to really, and I think I'm, you know, got a lot of work to do still. Well, that's Definitely why you're here. Definitely a lot of work to do. Um, there is something. Oh, I don't think I'm seeing it in my notes. Anyway. Something, uh, let me see if this will refresh. There is, you know, Emmanuel, Emmanuel's teaching. Uh, it's for some, you know, it's, I tell you what, one bad thing I recommend, nobody does this, is do not update a website with two different computers because it always causes problems. Oh, my goodness, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, uh, this is so strange. So I'll have to have to look a little bit more on this. But uh, in but the it, it's, final... it's 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 one of the hardest lessons for all of us to learn. And so many people just pile the depression and the negative stuff on themselves to the point that it's hard for them to dig out. It really is. And it's and, very hard. Yeah. And, and oh, here it is. Okay, uh, it's all there. Good. My notes are here. This is something I was studying today. Now, listen to this. This hit me like a freight train. Everything human within human beings must die. But everything of creation within them must rise and embrace creation. This is one of the Emmanuel's final teachings. So well, that makes and, sense. well, I didn't find it so uh, obvious. I was studying something from the Might of Thoughts that was talking about. It says all wrong, useless, negative, and impure thoughts are eliminated in order to attain, obtain the necessary space for the useful, pure, neutral, positive, equalized, right, and cultivated thoughts. And then I stumbled across this what are in the Meyer notes talked about is Emmanuel's final teachings. This is before he went to India. It says, in regards to the impure, Emmanuel wrote the following in his final teachings. He said, truly I say to you, 
A love that is unlimited, constant, and unfailing, is unconditional, and is pure love, in whose fire all that is impure and evil will burn. And then in a few verses down, he says, Everything human within human beings must die, but everything of creation within them must rise and embrace creation. Everything humans possess has its origin in creation. Therefore, it belongs to creations. Human beings shall transform their entire spiritual lives and perfect them so they will become one with creation. So anyway, this is kind of my latest, what I've just been working with even today. So I guess it's I've taken us off the geese. No, we no can that's go back okay. To it's, well, no, it's a, it's a lifetime adventure for certain, sure. Um, but there was one other thing that I wanted to make sure that I touched on because you intrigued me by it and I couldn't figure out where you were going with it. You asked me to listen to the um, the recording of... Um, oh, yeah. Ed, the, the Edmund the rec- Fitzgerald. The Ed- yes. It's a great recording. Did you listen to it? Of, of, yeah, of course you asked me to. Of course I did. Okay. And, I wasn't sure at that time. <laughs> oh, always I make time for your stuff. I really do. Um, okay. So, Was it haunt? Did you find it moving? Oh, absolutely. And the thing that, that is, is so phenomenal is, you know, I've been up to the Great Lakes and, and I've seen Lake Superior and, you know, it's it's definitely um, – it's an eerie place, but you said you could link it to the Meyer material, and I want to know how. Well, creation is not a heavenly father. No, it doesn't rescue. It doesn't rescue you. It is neither good nor evil. It's a neutral, positive entity. The Meyer material refers to it by a German term that is not translatable into English. It calls it a Wiesenheiten. What that means is it evolves without the function of its own volition. So it's a juggernaut that never, ever stops evolving. It right. runs according to a predetermined plan. Even though it radiates love, it functions for the first 155 trillion years. When any universe goes through its expansion phase, it lasts 155 trillion years. And during that time, there's the creation of spirit forms, Space is expanding, the universe is growing, and then after that 155 point whatever trillion years is over, it starts its contraction phase, and it contracts for 155 trillion years, and then it goes dormant into a sleep phase. So it's not like a human being that you know, decides one day to not do anything productive. It is always, always evolving. So 
it has more in common with the ocean or with certain gases than it does with a human being. So people have, even though this entity radiates love, it <laughs> it's completely neutral. So what I was saying was, all of those men that died in the end with the Edmund Fitzgerald, the law of cause and effect went into operation. So the religious notion that the religions have is completely erroneous. There are certain laws that function in the universe, and no one escapes from those laws. <laughs> Mark, yes. Did you did you ever look at a deck of my cards? I don't think I have one now. Okay. I never. Um, I never. On Skype, send me your address because my cards are set up on a series of eleven cards. The mm-hmm. first eleven have to do with the physical plane. The mm-hmm. second have to do with. Um, Universal energies. The third have to do with the cosmic laws. Mm. And then there are the astrology. Yeah, send me on Skype your address. I'll send you a deck of cards. Okay. <laughs> I, I think we talk uh, the same, a lot more of the same language than you know. <laughs> oh, it could be. Very much could be. Were you? Are we keeping it to an hour today? Because i got to make sure I don't go over my time here. <laughs> no, no, we have two yeah. hours. Oh, okay, okay. Um, well, what I wanted to explain, if it's okay, we can go back to the Giza intelligences here in a minute. Um, what I wanted to explain, if you find this interesting, but only if you find it interesting, I wanted to talk about the structure of the universe, if that's okay. Sure. Okay. The Meyer material says our universe is roughly egg-shaped. And it has seven layers. They're like concentric circles. And they counter-rotate against one another. Mm -hmm. The only physical material is in the fourth belt of our universe. It's called the material belt. It's where the stars and the galaxies and the solar systems exist. Now, prior to the material belt, there's a layer called Earth space. And Earth space, it has positive energies. And these positive energies come from Earth space and move into the material belt. Now, outside of the material belt is something called the transformation belt. And it has negative energies that come out of the transformation belt. So inside the material belt, these negative and positive energies converge, and they produce another kind of energy, which eventually forms into matter. So this is the process which is continually going on. So new matter is forming in the material belt. And after 45 billion years, all matter goes back to what the Meyer information calls fine material. Mm-hmm. So our scientists look at the material belt and they say all oh, all matter 
is only 45 billion years old, so the universe is 45 billion years old. The Meyer information explains that the universe is currently 46 trillion years old, but the matter in the material belt is only 45 billion years old. So that's that discrepancy. Now, uh-huh. we also we also have a a universe which is a parallel universe to ours. It's called the Tao universe. It was created 46 trillion years ago when our universe was created. And the two universes are adjacent and they're both evolving in, at the same time. Now, ask its people, the Timmers, developed the technology to move out of our universe into this adjacent universe. They developed that technology about 3,000 years ago. And they can do this without damaging either universe or damaging their own ships. So they're populating this parallel universe. Ask it came back to our universe about 1950s and her and a, and a ship came back the timmers were also involved in something else here on the earth um outside of what ask it the pro, outside of the ask it project which was being billy's mentor the rest of the timmers were involved in forwarding some kind of disaster that was looming here on Earth that would have been some kind of devastating disaster that would have affected not only our world but other worlds. And they they explained that they could avert the disaster, but they had to do it indirectly, like by impulsing us and impulsing our scientists to do certain things um, I'll give you an example, and I but I think this is more the Playaren did this than the Timmers. The Playaren impulsed our scientists to create the World Wide Web. And one of the reasons they did this, and they did this in the 70s, so that the Meyer material would not get lost. Mm-hmm. And would be spread spread across the world, and that's one of the things that they did. Because we're now in this transition period called the third millennium, and we have about eight hundred years to transform our society to a society that's functioning under the creation of natural laws. If we don't do that, then We'll, we'll expire, we'll destroy ourselves. They say we're going to make it. They wow. say we do make it. That's So that's good news for you. Yes. <laughs> I mean, 18 <sighs> years, I will have been here and gone a couple of times. So, yep, you um, will. Me too. We will, we'll have gone and re- returned several times. It's, it's just, you know, it's, it's amazing because the the um, the element of, of um, when first I read the Meyer material, I was I was fascinated with the fact that you know he said 
you know, he had, it, it was, it was pretty depressing, but, but, you know, once you got past, once you, once you, once you got past the 800 year time frame, um, we were, we were in really, really good shape. So, yeah. so it's, 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 I think one of the things that, that has gotten to me quite lately um, is that, that, that I've seen people who are quote unquote on the spiritual pathway um, who say, well, I'm here to serve humanity. And I, I, I sort of correct them in that you're not here to serve humanity. You're here to, to evolve and develop yourself. And if yeah. what you do in that evolution helps other people, great. But yeah. you're here, you know, your purpose is not to go out and teach other people or tell them what's wrong with themselves. It's to develop yourself, to learn and to grow and to evolve. And that's, wow. that's, that's something that most people don't understand. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. And here's something you would probably be interested in. I'm judging you by saying this, so you can correct me. Uh, they say there's a possible collapse of the United States in the year 2020. Uh-huh. And that comes from Contact Report 544. Billy learned about that when he was on his great trip in 1975. That's that's where Sinyasi picked him up in Switzerland and took him to took him to Venus, took him to um, Mars, took him back to the Earth to watch the Apollo Soyuz hookup, took him out to Jupiter, where he saw the Pleiarans mothership out there. It looked like a, a small metallic planet out there sitting in space, orbiting Jupiter. Um, as Semyasi's ship came closer and closer to the Pleiaran mothership, a little hatch opened and she flew her craft in there and, and landed in this hangar area where there were dozens and dozens of other beam ships like hers. And then they took and they got on this like hovercraft, for lack of a better word, and they they went up to another level. And in this other level, in this great mothership is this gigantic garden, which stretches on for miles and they can see rolling hills and trees and all this. And then they move vertically in the craft up to the, they're flying around in this ship. The ship is so large. It's bigger. It's taller than the great, the biggest mountain on earth. And it's 10 miles in diameter. Okay. So they, they, they fly up to the bridge where they get to meet Ptah. Ptah is Semyase's father. He's the guy in charge of the ship. He's the captain, I suppose you could say. And one of the things that Billy learns on the ship is that the USA could come to an end in 2020. And that could happen because of the decline of our culture, climbing religion, sectarianism, criminal activity of our former presidents. Um, a gigantic amount of debt, $16 trillion. Uh, these are various things. So that's the next shoe to drop in terms of the prophecies. Well, I think... the collapse that, of, of the U.S. I, Go ahead. I think the country will survive, but I would be very... I, I wouldn't be surprised if the government collapsed. Yeah. Be, because the government is not functional. 
Um, it, there's a lot of strangeness going on. They talk about two civil wars in the U.S. being a probability, uh, mm-hmm. that the U.S. will be broken up into five different areas. They also talk about the end of religion, which we're seeing tremendous corruption in the Vatican. I mean, I'm sure you've heard of all that oh, happened yeah. recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, when, I, when I did the um, predictions for this year, the overview, um, mm-hmm. I, I saw a couple of things that, that um, were, for me, a little upsetting. Um, one was that, that um, boundary lines were going to be changed between, between countries and sometimes states, that um, mm-hmm. there, there would be the creation of new countries, and and that um, and, and I specifically was looking at North and South Korea when when that when I said that and um, as far as this country went, I saw riots in in um, Chicago, um, possibly New York, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, and between between September and and December. And basically, um, sanctuary cities. And um, it, it, from what I was seeing, it feels as though there has there has to be a reorganization, a change, a shift. And it, it isn't the people in power; it's the system that they're trying to function in that is wrong. Hmm. And I, I could <clears throat> I could see a change to the system. I mean, doing away with with the electoral college and just doing popular vote. Um, frankly, you know, the House and the Senate, they they you know let them make make you know suggest the laws and let the general public vote on them. Forget forget them having a right to to tell us what we're going to have applied to uh, us. Let us decide. That would be you great. Know. Well, yeah. Um, we, I don't think would, we would have gotten Obamacare then. Probably not, and we also <laughs> wouldn't have raised their. We would we, we we would have done away with their um, their forever salary even after they retire. We would have limited terms. I think the general public is now to a place where they are so aware that there is such corruption that they would get out and vote. And if if the senators and the Congress people just proposed the bills and let it be a popular vote that determined whether or not they were made law mm-hmm. would, would, would put a handle on it. It would take away a lot of the graft and a lot of the, you know, the, the pork bellying or whatever it's called. And, and it would mean, you know, if you don't represent me, then you can just get out of power. I mean, it's just that right. simple. Right. right. I don't but, think we would have spent $1.5 trillion on an F-35 fighter, I don't think we would have spent $12.5 billion on this latest aircraft carrier. There would be a lot of things I think (laughs) we would be doing differently. Well, and and also, you know, we wouldn't have put up with a vice president that said, oh, by the way, we lost $3 trillion. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that whole thing. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. and so yeah. I, I think and I think very much like the British, I think it's it's also um it would be a good idea to have um a vote of confidence or no confidence. And if you don't have confidence you get the heck out of office. 
Even so, even if you have a year or two left in your term, right? Yeah. Yeah. You get the no no confidence vote and you're gone, right? That would be yes. interesting. I like your I like your ideas. Um they're very well. good. <laughs> Maybe we can get those out. Yeah, we'll put it out there. <laughs> no, it's just, it work. seems it seems to me that we are at a time when the people should really be in control of the country. And they're not. No. And no. and you know, if we're going to go down in flames, let let it be our responsibility, not some idiots. And and I'm and, and you know, I think Trump is trying to do a good job. I think he is being absolutely um, stopped every time he turns around by by his own party often, and and then the other what? party. So so let's do away with the party system. I think he's also being swayed by the horrors of the military industrial conflict. Uh, Military industrial complex, meaning his generals, his generals are swaying him to do things that I don't think he would otherwise do. Like, you know, he's committed back to Afghanistan. Uh huh. Did you Did you hear about that? I did. Yeah. And, and I don't think he would have been. I I don't know what this whole thing about North Korea was. I don't even know what was going on there. Um. That just seemed really strange to me. And when he fired all those missiles against Syria, against the uh, air base there, the Russians and all that, that seemed crazy too. So, well, he, they were knows? using, you know, chemical stuff on their own people. I mean, not not appropriate. <laughs> but, 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 <laughs> oh, come but, you on, know. our government does that to us. Oh, they they do it through. They, through through vaccines, right, and through oh, uh, okay. Even yeah. before that, in World War II, they sprayed LSD in the uh, in the subway <laughs> system in New York City to see how it would affect groups of people. I mean, yeah, oh, the, the, the the black soldiers during during the Civil War were were tested on. I mean, it, oh it's, yeah, so yeah, Horrific of course stuff. we did. Um, Horrific and, stuff. Yeah, no, we are definitely not angels here, but but it, it just seems to me as though the system may have worked for a great period of time, but it no longer is working, and and it's the people we elected that are screwing it up. So the only way I can see of fixing it is to do away with it. And I'm not well, talking about. Not. I'm not saying the gov- the the military should take over. I'm not. Sa- I'm just saying that that it feels to me as though um, our system does not work. And you're not going to get the the House and the and and the Senate. You're not going to get them to do away with themselves because you know they've got a cushy job and and they they really think they make a difference, but they don't represent the people anymore. No. Did you Did you no. ever watch? Did you ever watch any of the um, the series um, designated Survivor? No, I never watched that. No. Um, it, it was interesting because it, it, you know every time they they give a um, you know the president gives his main speech, everybody turns up. Congress, the, the Supreme Court, everybody. It's 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 
you know, the, the president's chance to talk to everybody all at once. And they, they always have a designated survivor that doesn't go just in case something happens. Mm. And in, in, in this show, it, it happens, you know, there's, there are horrific bombs and everybody's wiped out except this one poor guy who was about to be fired, who becomes president of the United States. And wow. it's how they start to put the government back together again. And I'm not saying that we should do that. I don't want to wipe out. I don't want to kill anybody. I just want a system that will work. And Sylvia Brown designated 2020 as well. She she um, agrees with Billy Meyer on that particular topic. And, and um, she said that there would be more of a... Uh, of, of a boardroom type approach. There wouldn't be any head of government. It would be a committee that did stuff and that, hmm. that it would be everyday people that were there, not necessarily career anything. So that, hmm. so that it would, it would, um, and then 2020 is, is the time she, she kind of pinpointed and said, and this is back in the fifties that she wrote this book, fifties or sixties, I think. Did so she that, really? Yeah. Wow. She had it all. And actually, um, what we've been, what what I've been sort of, um, my my co-host Jeannie and I have been watching. She predicted that the president, sometime before 2020, and and we're with that presidency now, the president would die in office of a heart attack. The vice hmm. president would come close to getting us into a nuclear war, and the Speaker of the House would save the day. Hmm. Oh, it's out there. Now let's see, you know, because, because, you mm. know, prior to this for the last, I don't know, 10 years, Jeannie and I have been watching every presidency saying, well, is this the one he's going to die in office and the vice president's going to, you know, and so we're, we're right at the, the last, the last hurrah here to see if Sylvia Brown had it right. Well, I hope the U.S. will survive. Oh, it will survive. I, I just don't know what form it will survive in. I think that it will continue yeah. to be a world power. Um, you know, when George Washington was elected, he they wanted to make him king. And I'm, I'm thinking maybe that might have been a better idea. Uh, <laughs> I, this, this just, the, the, the republic hasn't worked. And I think it did work for a long time. And 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 there maybe was was graft and all sorts of things going on, but we weren't privy to it. There was a respect that was there between the politicians and the press. Even I mean, when FDR was in office, they didn't take pictures of him in his wheelchair or anything. They they were respectful of the office. Hmm. And and when you when you look at what's happening today with the press, it's it's horrifying. So, yeah, yeah, I think the press is just uh, horrific. I almost think that there's some other power that's in control of the press, some foreign power or something, because I think the press is trying to destroy the country. Well, I, yeah, I, I would I would agree with you. I I I know that there, there's there's great talk about you know the the government behind the government. And I, I, when you look at big pharma, when you look at the oil companies, when you look at religions, um, they all have too much to lose 
to to really do stuff that is for the betterment of the people. I mean, Tesla was, would have given us free electricity. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are so many things that the government has squashed or hidden from us because of um, because it, it, it takes money out of their pockets. I mean, the government isn't serving the people. We could have had free electricity. We could have, um, you know, there, there's so much to benefit the populace that hasn't been done because it takes away from big pharma or it takes away from the oil company. <clears throat> I know during World War II, my dad was in the FBI, and he saw a demonstration um, out on Long Island of they, they brought a, a brand-new car that had never been run, no, no gas in the engine ever. They filled it with water. They put a little white tablet in, and it ran with no pollution. Government bought the patent, and we've not seen it ever since. Have you uh, the same kind of thing happened with a man named Stan Myers? You probably heard that story, right? Uh, Doctor Stephen Greer talks about that all the time. A guy named Stan Myers. Uh, he invented a car that would run on water. It would it's using some kind of electrostatic process. Mm-hmm. He was able to split out the helium I guess it's helium H2O, is it helium or hydrogen uh, out of the water and burn that and his particular process was so efficient that they would still get um, it was still a very see the the people will poo-poo this and say it's impossible because it takes more energy to to split out the the H from the H two from the O, but he figured out a way to do it in in a way that wouldn't take that much energy. So and of course he he was poisoned. He went uh-huh. out to eat and was, he ta- was talking to some people and they were trying to make him a deal on his technology and stumbled out of the uh, I think it was like a Bob Evans or something and fell over and died. So, yeah, it's very similar to the story you're telling. So it's a very well, sad story. Well, it, 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 well, look at Judd Scalina, Scalia. I truly believe he was murdered. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I can't prove it, of course. But, you know, I, I when I heard that he had died, all I said was, oh, he was killed. <laughs> you know? But, but it, it's when you when you look at. Um, when you look at our rocketry, it's the same rocketry that the German scientists who came over in Operation Paperclip gave to us after World War II. Um, it's, it's so funny. And, and I truly believe, and I think that's one of the other things that I was that, that I think I predicted, was that I felt that sometime this year. We would under we would hear that that all of the NASA programs were a facade that they've really been working at interdimensional shifting and and and, um, and time travel that that the spaceships are just are, are just some sort of big cover up to give us a show to go ooh and ah over that 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 they're 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 using something similar to a Stargate in in order to travel to other planets and other times. And that that 
that space travel is not not possible to 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 the degree that they're talking about you know, those great big tin things that are sent out into space theoretically are are not something that we could travel in for years or decades or or more centuries um you know come on the the, the government took the lowest the lowest bidder on all of the products that went into them um there's there's i mean the germans were working on time travel um in 1938 and we have to have been working on it easily as often and as long and you can't tell me that we haven't made great strides because we must have but we don't hear about that it's hard to know where we are right now it's really hard to know um all good points you make you know, we could talk about the 14,000 reels of telemetry data that NASA lost. Mm. All, the, all the telemetry <laughs> data for Apollo, they lost. They don't have the plans to build a lunar module. Grumman doesn't, they lost the plans to the lunar module. We can't even build a Saturn V rocket anymore. It's just one thing after another. Oh, it's such an interesting, uh, the Meyer material says, the first moon mission was faked, but we did go in the other missions. Uh-huh. I don't know how we made it with that old technology, but that's what they say, that we made it in those other missions. Well, the, but, the uh, last uh, the last um, remote viewing meditation that we did was to the pyramids on the moon. Um, oh. Which was fascinating. <laughs> I didn't know there were pyramids on the moon. Yes, there are. Um, Very. Uh, let me see. Can I find the link? Are you actually in the chat room? No, I'm not in the chat room. I'm just, I'm on Skype. Okay, I'll send I'm, you the link. I'm Skype. Um, here, here, they, here they go to you, and... To be fair to those who are actually in the chat room, here they go to them. Um, these are these are um, the the remote viewings that we've done so far, and I seem to have lost myself here. Par for the course. I'll get in there, guys. Just hang in there. Um, yeah, there there are pyramids um, on the moon. Uh, we went to the pyramids in the Arctic. We went to um, yeah, we've we've hunt, we've hopped, scotched all over the world. We did the um, last last emperor's um, pyramid. Um, and, and like I said, there's short there's short meditations. They're 15, 20 minutes at tops, but. Um, hmm. They are they are definitely interesting, and I keep I keep thinking, okay, so where do we go next? And and there's always another pyramid that calls to us. But but they are they are fun and they're interesting. And and on the blog, all of the meditations, links to all of the meditations are there, so anybody can do it anytime they want to, and hopefully they'll leave comments. So. But but there's so much 
out there, Mark, that, that you know, is fascinating. And I think what, what really, I, I constantly get pulled back to the Meyer material. And I have to tell you, the very first time, and this was years ago, that you started talking about it, all I could think of was, oh, he plays such a beautiful guitar. It's too bad he's crazy. And, and <laughs> since then, you That's got me funny. hooked. <laughs> and, that is and so I, funny. And, well, I know the first time that I had you on my show to interview about it, um, I think you were a little reluctant because you knew I wasn't 100% there with you. But I did my homework, and the more I learned about his material, now I I don't buy it all, but mm-hmm. but I would say I I buy far more of it than I thought I would ever buy, and and the more he gets into the spirituality, the more I look at his philosophy and the spirituality, um, the more he and I have. Um, now he goes into you know great time spans and stuff like that, and I don't do that. But but my philosophy is very much the same as his to a certain degree, which is hmm. which I find hysterical. Um, because you know, but I never badmouthed you, and I'm glad I never did. <laughs> well, that's very interesting. You know, um, uh, it's hard to put into words, and I. To me, it, it, it really doesn't—it doesn't seem so far out. But I imagine to other people, it really, really does. Um, there's just something about this information that has always just grabbed a hold of me and just pulled me in. Um, did you well, want to go back to the Giza intelligences and 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 trace that whole thing, or where did you want to go next? Well, I, I think that, that Billy's concept of spirituality is one of the things that that, um, that I could relate to because, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the development of spirituality within each of us is different because we're all different and mm-hmm. our perspectives are all different. So, so and, and the way Billy explains, you know, he calls it, a fragment of the original I call it um it's like a grain of sand from the from the beach of, of, of super consciousness. You know, we have that that seed within us that is there to grow. And that's the that's that's what animates us. That's what gives us us functionality within the avatar of the human body that we exist in today. And so it's it's our batteries so to speak. So, you know, I, I agree with everything Billy says. I think sometimes he goes into such detail that, that people's, um, I mean, their eyes kind of fog over. But if you get into the, the fundamentals of what he's saying, I think that it's, um, I, I think that's what sometimes probably makes people back off a little bit. His, his explanations are so intricate and so into mm-hmm. detail and so, you know, he goes into the, you know, the 77,000 years in one way and 177,000 and then there's a rest period and everything. Um, I, I think if you could simplify it for for people who are trying to study spirituality and understand it, um, it, 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 he might gather, you know, more people to him who would then 
go more deeply into the information. I, I mean, is there a Billy Meyer for Idiots book, maybe? <laughs> Boy, I tell you what, uh, it's not, no, <laughs> there's not anything <laughs> close to that. The, it's, you know, I'm going through, and now it's my seventh trip through the Might of Thoughts. Um, it It is extremely detailed, and I have great compassion for for those who read this and say, wow, you know. Um, well, the thing is, um, he makes it a personal study project, a commitment of an individual to discovering something within themselves, which is appropriate. It's not something that you can truly preach from a pulpit. It's something that people have to read and be able to identify with and connect to and apply to their own lives so that it is, um, it, 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 it won't ever become a great religion because then it would become one of those um, systems that we, we're going to have to fight against, like big pharma and government and religion. But, but the material is, is something that you do study and you do apply to yourself and you learn to grow with. And that's what spiritual evolution is. One of the, I think, the really the most important ideas is the difference between the material consciousness and, and the spiritual consciousness. So who you are in this lifetime is your material consciousness. And you have something called the psyche, which controls the thoughts and the feelings of the material consciousness. And there's something called the gemut, which controls the thoughts and the feelings of the spiritual consciousness. And it, this term, the gemut, is very, very interesting. Let me read something really quickly here. I think you'll find it interesting. It says, the spirit consciousness-based feelings and the spirit consciousness-based thoughts in itself in a constant equalized form, contrary to the psyche, the gamut of the spirit realm cannot be influenced by negative powers, negative thoughts, but only neutral positive ones, which therefore means that only powers corresponding to an equalized form of positive and negative penetrate into the gamut through which the gamut always exhibits an equalized harmony. So that's your spiritual consciousness. So the, the goal is always to keep yourself in, in a state of harmony. It's only the material consciousness that can become unbalanced, that can become upset. Your spirit form is invulnerable, cannot be harmed by anything in the material realm. Simyase, Billy's third contact, she explained it this way. She said, every person has within them a spirit that does not sleep, that never dies, that records everything that you do. And it will tell you if your thinking is right or wrong, if you've learned to pay attention to it. She called it the wonder of all wonders. She said it was the bearer of the creative realm. So mm -hmm. we all have this spirit form. Now, the book, The Psyche, goes on to explain that most human beings have a spirit form. Most earth humans have a spirit form that's 
about 4 million years old. So you've been reincarnating, most likely on the earth, for 4, four million years. Now, if, you've, if you were a person that came here on a spacecraft in the ancient past, you may have a spirit form that's 8 to 12 million years old. And the Meyer material explains that we reincarnate into physical bodies for 40 to 60 million years. And the playar in Billy's contacts are in the fifth stage of evolution. They're about in the stage to move into the sixth stage, which is where we have a half physical and a half spiritual body. So the Pleiaren are so far advanced in their spiritual lives that they're really no longer compatible with earth humans. Like they couldn't sit down in a room and speak to us anymore because of the incompatibility between our thought vibrations, for lack of a better word, and theirs. Our thoughts will literally cause them to lose control of themselves. They have to wear a kind of technology and they can only be in our presence for like a half an hour or so, even with that technology. So we're really, there's the player aren't going to come down here and have open contact with us because of that. They can have open contact with Billy because of the age of his spirit form. And his spirit form radiates an energy, a vibration, if you will, that's compatible with theirs. So they they cannot have open contact with us. In fact, one of the people at the center, a man named Jacobus, walked in to a room when Billy and Semyase were speaking together back in the late 70s. Um, she was, you know, just his thought vibrations, Jacobus's were so, they impacted her so much, she fell, she hit her head on the table, she had to transport herself back to her ship, she lost consciousness, and eventually she was found, and she had to be rushed back to the player on home world, she had to have treatment, eventually that's how Billy's contacts got cut off with her. Um, in nine, she she had to go through all this re- rehabilitation. She came back, started to have contacts with Billy in the 80s, right around 84. Um, she had a relapse because of the earlier injury. But that's how the contacts ended with Semyase. It was because somebody had walked in, Jacobus had walked in and she fell. So they're no longer compatible with earth humans. Their their thought level is so high above us that they cannot stand to be around us. Literally. Now, they're they're no uh, longer compatible. If he's Go still ahead. having contact. Not with Semyase. Well no with uh, with Pita and Quetzal. Still has contacts with them. But no longer contacts with Sfoth. Sfoth has died. 
Uh, no longer contacts with Askit. She went back to the Tao universe. Um, Samyase was injured. Uh, just contacts with Ptah and, and Quetzal um, today. So, so but, are, they, but, are they as frequent as they used to be? They're not quite as frequent. No, they're not. They're not. And um, they they have contacts because of their friendship with Billy. Uh, they basically, if I remember correctly, the player and take advice from another group that's higher than them, higher on the evolutionary scale. And this higher group uh, basically <laughs> kind of wrote off the people of the earth, so to speak. <laughs> it's really sad. It's really shocking. It's really depressing in a way. But um, they have not cut off contact completely. They almost did several times. But still, the mission is supposed to be successful. Uh, Billy said the U.S. is going to be wrecked. I'm holding out that that's not going to happen. I think that there's a lot of people that are starting to progress with the spiritual teachings now, and I think we're going to we're going to get through this. Like you said, things may may change dra- 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 drastically, but I think that we're going to survive this. Um, How does he mean wrecked? I mean, um, that's the term he uses. Um, in the Hanak prophecies, it says that the devastation in North America will be uh, a devastation that's kind of beyond our imagination. It's just mm-hmm. ghastly. So um, I can probably pull up the exact. Words. It talks about the Christian religion collapsing, and um, but that's not the really, really bad part. Uh, destruction in North America. It says, um, well, war, devastation in Europe, devastation in North America. Uh, far in the West, it will be different. The United States will be a country of total destruction. Now, I'm going against my material. I'm saying that's not going to happen. That's just my opinion. I think we're going to get past that. Well, I, I think that there, there are strong possibilities for natural disasters that could, could appear to be total devastation if the new Madrid line, um, fault line, goes off again. That's the equivalent of either an eight or a nine on the Richter scale earthquake that the last time it went off um, in the eight, in 18, 12, 18, 13, it, it goes, it goes kind of up, up the Mississippi through Tennessee and, and that area. Um, it rang bells in Boston. So if that went off, I mean, it was horrible devastation. I mean, anybody who wants to take a look, they have pictures of it. It, it, it looks like bombs went off all over the place. It was horrible. Mm. And the, like I said, the Mississippi ran backwards. It was so forceful. So it, it's been rumbling. And, and 
earthquakes in that area have picked up. And the other the other thing that that would even be as devastating would be if the super volcan- volcano in um, Yellowstone went off. That could easily cover the, the country with ash. So you know one of one of the things that I've wondered about is. The Pleiarans were supposed to have left the Earth in 1995. Uh, they didn't tell us why. Before that, there was something like 2,862 extraterrestrial humans on the Earth from like 12 different races. They had bases in Asia, North America, Switzerland. Uh, but in 1995, they, they pretty much all left. There was a group called the Hyperboreans, that lived in Mount Shasta, a group mm-hmm. of white-skinned, blonde extraterrestrials, about 700 people. They had a very small city there. And you could see their golden-colored spacecraft come out of the eastern side of that mountain. Um, from what I hear from Marianne in Switzerland, she tells me they're gone. There was a group called the Hasters that had a base in the North Atlantic for a while. Uh, They're no longer here. Now, these Hyperboreans, uh, very interesting, uh, Barbara, because they used to live, according to Meyer material, our our globe has shifted. And Florida used to be at where the North Pole is. Yeah. And, and that area was called Hyperborea, and they had a an incredible, incredible warm climate there. It was supposed to be all year round. There, there were palm trees on the North Pole back then. The, the earth wasn't on its axis. There were all kinds of fruit trees. It was the best place on earth to live. Now, this is about 113,000 years ago that this fellow by the name of Eris the Barbarian came here to the earth from Beta Centauri, and he attacked Hyperborea. And eventually his son went into India and conquered India. And Eris the Barbarian was the guy that got the Great War started between Atlantis and Lemuria. So... It's very interesting. You know, you you mentioned something about extraterrestrials and like these Hyperboreans have been on Earth for like 130,000 years or 180,000 years. So at that point, do you really call them extraterrestrials anymore? Because they had been here for oh, so long. So. You know? Well, well, let me ask you something. I mean, these are off-worlders that came onto the planet. Now, weren't there indigenous humans here at that particular point in time? There were. And the native earth humans, at that time, they called the Evas. And the Evas, they were called the Evas because they had to bear a lot of things that happened here on the earth from some of these extraterrestrial groups that weren't behaving very well, like we had talked about these Giza intelligences. Uh So what happened on the earth... Atlantis and Lemuria is about 130,000 years ago that that society started. Now, you had the great city of Atlantis, 
on an island in the Atlantic between South America and Europe. And then you had Amu or Lemuria, as it's sometimes called, in what we would call the Gobi Desert now. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were two underground cities, Agartha Alpha and Agartha Beta, and they were connected by these underground tunnels. So there were very, very advanced people here on the earth in the past. Now, I say advanced, but they they still did not have enough spiritual advancement to avoid the warfare. A war eventually happened again, and that's what devastated the earth. So we're really climbing out of the rubble of Atlantis and Lemuria. And it's very interesting how our biblical stories kind of enmesh with all this. Uh, The Meyer material says that there have been multiple, multiple floods on the earth, for example. Uh And that Noah... Noah was over 10 feet tall. He would be what we would call a giant. And he had, he knew one of these kings of wisdom, as they're called, Ishwishes, from the Hyperboreans. So as this story has been passed down through years and years and years, Noah was, you know, we say was talking to God. The Meyer material says he was talking to a king of wisdom, one of these higher-ranked Hyperboreans. Uh-huh. Okay, and it was this Ishwish that told Noah to build the ark. And this occurred about 98,400 years ago. And when this great flood occurred... The ark did not land on the summit or the top of Mount Ararat, but much lower down. Otherwise, the larger four-footed animals would have never gotten off. Right. So that's very, very interesting how how the stories have changed. Now, um, the Meyer material also says that the person we call Jehovah was one of these Giza intelligences. And he wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah with two small nuclear weapons. His, he was also known as Hen. Now, the guy that took over for him, or actually, um, usually what would happen is that the, a lot of times the sons would kill the fathers. In the case of Jehovah, one of his nephews pushed him out of power, and his the nephew was called Kamagal the first, and he took over in about 2080 BC. Now, what's really strange about the whole Kamagal story is that Kamagal must have lived for thousands and thousands of years, because he was around. I think before World War II, some other, a little bit after that, Kamigal, I think Kamigal II took over leadership around 1976. So these these extraterrestrials were still on the Earth, were still under the Great Pyramid, 
as early as 76. Isn't that crazy? It, well, it is, and, and I know that <clears throat> there were like three ways of um, what we call Atlanteans that, that hit the Earth's time over over a great extended period of time. Um, your barbarian was one of them. And every time they hit the planet or, or any, every time um, one of these groups was on the planet, there was intermingling with us. So basically, aren't all of us today kind of the result of, of all of this intermingling of genetic material so that don't we carry a memory of, if, if nothing else, a, a genetic memory of these other cultures, these other species that have visited the planet? Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, Semyasa uh, mated with an earth woman and the offspring uh, they called Adam, and he was about 10 feet tall. He had, uh, of course, he had offspring. Uh, but in addition to that, the original settlers of our solar system, according to my information, came from Mars, or excuse me, came to Mars from the Cirrus system. Remember me talking about the material belt of our universe? Yes. Well, it has seven different space-time configurations. If, you know, if you want to turn your mind into a pretzel, um, <laughs> <laughs> literally. Yes. So there's a Lyra Vegas system in our space-time configuration. There is a Lyra Vegas system in the Pleiaran space-time configuration. There's a Cirrus system in our space-time configuration and a Cirrus system in the Pleiaran space-time configuration. And the people from Cirrus in the Pleiaran space-time configuration were great genetic engineers. And they were descended from the Lyrians, and they wanted to engineer out the warlike tendencies they had. And they did such a good job at that that they got to the point where they couldn't even really defend themselves. So they created a, another human race from their own genetics, with a shortened lifespan and increased aggression to to essentially defend them from other warring spacefaring people. Well, at some point they they got kind of concerned that these genetically manipulated people would attack them. So they decided they were going to kill all these genetically manipulated people. Well, there there were a group from the Cirrus system that says that said no, that you can't do this. This is wrong. And they were called the benefactors, and they brought a great number of these genetically manipulated peoples to our solar system. And they settled on two planets, one called Malona, and the other called Mars. 
Malona was a little farther out than Earth, somewhere, I think, between um, Saturn and Mars. Anyway, uh, this was a couple hundred thousand years ago. So there were three habitable planets in our solar system a couple hundred thousand years ago. There were was Earth, a young Earth. There were the there were there was Mars, and there was Malona. The people from the Cirrus system, the benefactors, brought the genetically manipulated people to Mars and Malona. The people on Malona, the genetically manipulated people there, were just they lost it. They were just they destroyed their own planet. They they diverted an ocean into a volcano which essentially split their world in two. Now, the people on Mars lived a long time. They built um pyramids, they built cities. They built other things. Uh there was tremendous amounts of water on Mars. There were gigantic rivers, rivers bigger than any river on the earth. Rivers that were hundreds of miles wide and thousands of kilometers long. But eventually this destroyer comet that I was telling you about in the beginning of the show came through mm-hmm. and pulled Mars out of its correct orbit. So while all this other stuff was going on on Earth, where we had the people from Atlantis and Lemuria come come to the Earth, they were from Beta Centauri. Before that, we had the Pleiaran that came here and settled for a while, about 150,000 years ago. We had a naturally evolving Earth human. You asked me about Earth humans who came, who started on the Earth, started their evolutionary period, um, thinking 8 to 12 million years ago, something like that, which, by the way, were dark-skinned people. So while all that was going on on Earth, these genetically manipulated people from Mars came to the Earth as well. And you talked about co-mingling. Uh-huh. And they eventually co-mingled with all the Earth people. Their genetics is through the whole Earth. So we all have the shortened lifespan. And we all have the uh, increased aggression. And that's one one thing that has to happen on the earth before we can be um, interacting with people on other worlds is that we have to have our genetic problems corrected, meaning our, because no other society will tolerate us out there with this genetic problem that we have. With shortened lifespan, if you live for a thousand years, would you want to risk people on your world losing their thousand-year lifespan and no. going back to 100, 100 years? So, yeah, so the Earth is in a – we're in a really difficult, tough situation. And the history is so interesting. I mean, don't you think it is just – it's so, so fascinating. Oh, it's – and the, the, the meticulousness of it and the intricacy of it is just phenomenal. Um, it does blow everything else out of the water. It, it makes the, the Bible seem like, like, you know, 
a prim a printer. Uh, it it's it's it it is it is a lot to swallow, but it, but the spiritual part of it is easy to embrace. And yeah. certainly, certainly, I have spoken often about how I felt the Earth was quarantined. That that really no no race no species worth its salt would really want to have anything to do with us because we were too violent. Yeah. Well, that would be great food for a discussion on another show. We could go into more depth about the Bible, and I have some of my own theories about that. And we could talk more about, um, you know, the history stuff and oh, the spiritual stuff. Yeah, that's what that's my that's my main focus. That's what I spend all my time on is studying. You know, like the Maya thoughts. He has three major books. I know we're running out of time, but I'll just say these three major books. The Might of the Thoughts, the other one is called The Psyche, and the third is The Way to Live, and the fourth that you can download for free is called The Goblet of Truth. So I, I suggest everyone, if you can, uh, you can order these through Michael Horn. That's what, what I usually do. Uh, I'm going to start or, ordering them through Figu here before too long, but... Not well, yet. They're, I they're on Amazon as well. No. Nope. And no. You cannot get them. No. You can only get them through Figu, um, the Figu sites, or and Michael Horn is. We're just lucky here in the U.S. that he happens to sell some. <laughs> oh. No, you can't get them on Amazon. You cannot get them on Amazon. I wish you could. I would have them all by now if you could. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I wonder where I got mine then. I, I must have gone to the um the website and gotten it. Did you did you go to one of the figure sites? I must have you got might I got of, the book. You got might of thoughts? Yeah. Awesome. You haven't started reading it yet? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> well I'll have to uh just twist your arm and get you on my show and we can start talking about it. Okay, I will. That's that's an easy twist. Um, okay. I I I have it. I and you know usually with the the Freedom Slips program, sometimes authors have written um, as many as two or three books, and I I make it a point to read as many as I can before I actually interview them. So, um, but I am at a point where I have some. I have some people coming on where I've already read their books or, or they, they haven't written books so that I don't have quite so much prep time. So um, I am definitely going to sit down with it and take my highlighter and, and start, start digging my way through it. Um, it feels, it feels to me from what I've read, you know, on other websites, on other websites about it, that it corresponds very much with my own philosophy. So it should be, it should be a fun read. Great. Well, it's always a pleasure. I've well, always, always loved chatting with you, Barbara. Well, you're you're one of my favorite um, favorite interviewers and interviewees or whatever. I just I, I you always educate me, and it's always fun to 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 throw a question at you and and see where your answer comes from. So, uh, I do thank you so much for. Um, taking the time to spend the time with us tonight. And uh, we definitely are going to have to do this again. Um, 
your show is is of course Ohio Exopolitics. I'm I'm not sure what night you're on, but I know you're on Block Talk. It's it, it, it goes any different time, any different night. It has no pattern, no rhyme or reason. <laughs> whenever whenever I can make the time, I'll do a show. Okay. Terrible well, then, to do a show. Well, well if you if if you go to Ohio Exopolitics, it'll it'll show you the archives and when the show is the next one is scheduled. Anyhow, thanks so much, Mark. I I so appreciate your being with us tonight, and um, I will be in touch. And on Skype, send me your address so I can send you a deck of the cards. All righty, thanks, Barbara. We'll see you. Bye. Bye bye now. Thank you, everybody. It's been a pleasure and. I look forward to the next time we can get Mark on and we can all get together again. Good night now. Okay, Kevin, for the grand prize of $1 million, what color is the White House? Um, I know this, I know this, I know this. Um... Five seconds. Oh, switching to Geico could save you a bunch of money on car insurance? Okay. Judges? That's true, Kevin. Bill and Owen, congratulations. You're a winner. Woo! Geico, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer.